Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, a Reiki master, energy practitioner and teacher, medium and author of my newest book in a trilogy, A New Life Awaits, Spirit-Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening, which shares messages from spirit that show us our challenges are not merely economic, political, or societal, but a disconnect from our true being or soul essence. And today I'm delighted to welcome Judge Jim Tam, author of Radical Collaboration, which provides tools to increase your ability to work successfully with others and get the results desired. Hello, Judge Tam, and thank you for joining us on Healing From Within. Hi, Cheryl. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Judge, as listeners of Healing From Within have come to expect from my empowered and knowledgeable experts in their fields, we we share intimate and personal observations, evaluations as a means to improve the human condition and improve life personally and collectively. And that takes a level of awareness for reaching a higher consciousness of self and the many aspects that influence our life decisions. As we self-investigate, we often recognize we are much more than physical beings and our energetic presence, when addressed, helps know life in its infinite possibilities. In today's episode of Healing From Within, Judge Jim Tam, an expert on dispute resolution and building collaborative relationships, mediated more than a 1,000 employment disputes during his 25 years as a senior administrative law judge for the state of California. Uh, Jim is currently managing director of the international consulting firm Business Consultants Network Incorporated. We will discuss how to figure out what your own defenses are, why you have them, and then learn how to deal with defenses other people also have with an increased sense of safety, openness, and authentic interactions. It becomes a pathway to improved relationships and greater happiness overall. Jim, I always love to ask my guests to think back to their childhood younger years and remember a person, place, event that may have signaled to them or others around them the interests, work, and lifestyle they might pursue as an adult. For it appears to me we are born with everything within us for a successful life experience. And if we become aware of that life plan and our own talents and destiny uh, that our soul brought into life, we can live a much more uh, purposeful life. So think back. Uh, I think that there were, when I was a young kid, I really wanted to pursue three different lives. One was as a pilot, one was as a fireman, and one was as a lawyer. And over time, I managed to do all three of them. Wow, Jim. You did all three. You manifested and created all three of your desires. And you really wanted to help people, I think. You really wanted to 
help them travel to places where they could learn more about themselves. He wanted to help people as a fireman. And as a lawyer, you wanted truth, justice, and the American way, I would assume. <laughs> as a child, I was, I was much the same as you. <laughs> I was, I wanted to help people. Yeah, I became a te- I've had eight different careers that I've manifested. Yes, very amazing. I started as an elementary school teacher, and then I was uh, a businesswoman. And uh, and then I uh, went into interior design, learning about antiques and all the beauties, of, beautiful things of the world. And and then I became a radio show host, an author, and uh, it just goes on and on. If we really want to give to the world what's within us, it's possible. So that I love what you said. So tell us. When and why you decided to write Radical Collaboration? And did personal challenges or experience play a role in what you wish to share with your reading audience? And also, what is yeah. Radical Collaboration? Sure. Well, Radical Collaboration um, really comes from the work that I did as a judge, where the state of California kept seen a, a lot of the same organizations coming to our system over and over again with litigation. And we're and, and these organizations that had a lot of litigation were costing the state of California a lot of money, primarily in, in lost productivity. And so a small group of us got together within the state, and we did a lot of research trying to figure out what's the difference between the organizations that were so adversarial and those that were so collaborative. And then we we put together a, a program based upon the research we did. We got a big grant from the Stewart Foundation, did the research, and then based on that, put together a program that eventually became Radical Collaboration. And we, we call it Radical Collaboration because when we first started looking at this, and this was back in the late 1980s, the level of collaboration that we were encouraging people to reach was quite radical at the time. It isn't so radical now, but it was quite radical then. And also organizations that were able to become skillful at collaboration, they produced radical results. I mean, it really made a difference, a significant difference to the organization. You know, we, we reduced the amount of measurable conflict, things like unfair labor practice charges, where we had uh, a lot of really good data. We reduced that by 70% in almost 100 organizations over a three-year period. That saved the state of California so much money that the state legislature set up a a foundation to keep keep it going. Yeah, you gave some statistics, and you said the 10 most troubled organizations at the start of the project uh, reduced their conflict by an average rate of 85%. Well, I've always believed, I've always believed uh, that uh, cooperation... And uh, wanting what's good, the well-being, not only of yourself but others, is the way to improve many of the problems we're facing right now. Competition serves a purpose, but it should be personal competition to improve yourself. You don't have to go after other people to make yourself more proficient at what you do. What you really have to do is continue to self-reflect, self-investigate, and become the best person, and manifest and create the best life, which comes from an understanding of spiritual and physical realities, ultimately. Now, you also uh, 
determined these, you coined these words, red zone and green zone, in ways of seeing how well uh, we could work and become more unique people at the same time. So tell us something about that. And also then later you added the pink zone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when we first started looking at the impact that culture had on organizations, we found some organizations and people who were very adversarial. They were very conflicted. They were very competitive with each other. Um, And we, we started calling them red zone cultures. And then the green zone cultures was at the opposite end of the spectrum which was a much more collaborative and not a hostile, conflicted environment. Uh, And those were the two extremes that we saw, the two ends of the spectrum we saw when we first started looking at this issue. But over the past 10 or 15 years, we've seen a shift away from the the more hostile, red zone, uh, conflicted environments, but it hasn't been towards the, the green zone collaborative environment. It's simply been more conflict avoidant. And people would come to us and they'd say, well, you know, we're very collaborative because we never fight. You know, if there's a problem, I just keep my mouth shut and my eyes down. You know? Well, that's not and so then, good, is it? <laughs> no, they, they mistook it was the absence of outright warfare as effective collaboration, and it's not. Right. That's just playing nicey-nicey with each other and not dealing that's with That's getting you. stuck. That's getting, that's, yeah, yeah that's not progressing to the point where you can be, um, you know, have true collaboration. Uh, And there are five essential skills that you talk about that are needed to get to the green zone. And getting there is very important. Could you tell us about that? The five essential skills? Yeah. Yeah. And it's both a skill set and a mindset. You know, it's a set of attitudes Mm -hmm. and it's a set of competencies that you can learn. The first one we call collaborative intention. And the skill here is being able to stay focused on mutual gains in your relationship when you had one of those bumps in the road. You know, uh, somebody does something that you don't understand or makes a mistake. Can you Mm. stay in the green zone and get curious, or do you go into the red zone and get furious? (laughs) The second one we call openness, because you can't solve problems if people aren't willing to be open about it. And so you have to create, the skill is to create an environment where people feel safe enough to raise difficult issues and deal with them directly. Yes, where they tell the truth and they listen to the truth, not their own truth, but the bigger picture. That's right, (laughs) where they're willing to listen to other people's truth. Yes. Because they're different, you know. Yeah. And we're not talking, when we talk about truth, we're not talking about some moral concept. We're just talking about how people understand the situation. Mm. The the third skill we call self-accountability because it's helping people recognize what choices they're making and be responsible for the outcomes of those choices. A lot of times people don't think they have much choice in the world because it's a difficult choice, but they still do have choices. You know, you don't have to stay in a bad job or stay in a bad relationship. You can work on it. You you have some flexibility there. The fourth skill we call self-awareness. And there it's getting people to better understand what's going on with their own defensiveness. And then the fifth skill is uh, negotiating your way through conflict in a way that supports relationships rather than undermines those relationships. And if you can focus you know, on all of those skills, uh, you have a significantly better chance of ending up in, in effective, collaborative relationships and, and organizations. It makes a big difference. 
Yes, and we know that defensiveness is part of the problem. People want to feel safe and secure. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to uh, feel that they're going to lose anything. So what are the signs that you are becoming defensive? Because it's important to become aware of it so we can uh, pull the lever and stop it and get into the zone where we can bring ourselves to the green zone, which is where where we're headed as a humanity, actually. Yeah. yeah. The, the biggest thing about defensiveness is knowing what it's about. It's, mm-hmm. when, we're, when we get defensive, we're not defending ourselves from somebody else. That's what most people think. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is we're behaving in a way that lets us not be aware of our fears. Defensiveness is always fear-driven, fear-based. Anytime you get defensive, it's because there's fear there. But mostly it's uh, unconscious stuff and so we don't even recognize that we're getting defensive until it's too late we've already done some damage so what we try to do is we try to help people see when they're getting defensive at an earlier point in the process before it's too late mm. so that's where we have them look at their outward behaviors these signs of defensiveness like withdrawing into deadly silence or always wanting the last word or high charge of energy in the body or a sudden drop in IQ, you know, we just get stupid, can't figure out anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then what we know. usually do is blame someone else, and we're seeing this right now across the board, across the world, in our nation and all over. Everybody's blaming yeah. someone. That's not the yeah. way, the way that's, shame. yeah, shame, shame and blame. Shame is, is a very common sign of defensiveness. Yeah. If you're blaming other people, there's something going on with you. Yes, yes. You also so, so you, try, go you on, go on. People to pay attention to those behaviors, you know, and then use that as their early warning system. Yeah. So you know, we know def- defensiveness is difficult to deal with uh, because they defenses operate independently of our conscious thinking process. It's sort of below consciousness or subconscious and it just happens and it also often emerges from a person's history so what are some of the things that can happen when we're younger uh, that might leave an imprint or impression on us uh, that later on if it's not understood or seen early enough goes into this process of, of erupting into defensiveness so what happened in a person's history that created yeah. some of this I mean, it can be it can be any any ongoing issue or or significant trauma. It doesn't have to be a big trauma, but I mean, say you're you're uh, the youngest kid in the family and you're always feeling ignored. Yeah. You know, that's going to make you sensitive to to being ignored as an adult. Yeah. So uh, even everyday lives, you know, can create defensiveness in people. Uh, but it's but the, the key is to know that when your button gets pushed you know, and you have a reaction, what you're reacting to usually isn't what the other person is doing. It's what's going on inside of you at that moment. It's that memory about being the youngest kid in the, in the family or the littlest kid in school or you know, being picked on by a bully or, or not being paid attention to by your parents. You know? It's that what's going on inside of you which triggers that defensiveness in the moment. Yeah. And what happens when you see another person exhibiting all these signs 
of defensiveness. You know, you list so many signs, like loss of humor, mm-hmm. taking offense to what someone says, of getting vibrating or feeling nervous in your body, wanting to be right, flooding with information to prove a point, and endless explaining poor me or being the victim. And then there's teaching, rigidity, denial, uh, sarcasm, making fun of others. It's, oh, I'm acting this way because it's just my personality. These are all the signs of the defensiveness. Yeah. So, yeah. so oh, it goes on and on. A tight stomach, hot, sweaty skin, <laughs> fast breathing. I mean, it's, you, a, long it, it's a long list. But, but everybody <laughs> listening out there knows when they have this, how horrible it feels. And what can we do when we start to see another person reacting with these type of Mm, you know symptoms symptoms what so good question so how can we combat this so let me start by talking about what is not helpful yes and the least thing that that can be helpful is pointing out to the other person that they're getting defensive you know if you've never been feeling defensive and someone says wow you're getting kind of defensive you know how unhelpful that is so don't do that the thing that is most helpful for you is for you not to get defensive, not to get triggered by what they're doing. Know that that's their issue, not necessarily your issue. Right? So you need to pay attention to mm-hmm. it. Uh, but don't take it personally because you're always better off dealing with somebody in this red zone, hostile, defensive environment if you can stay in that collaborative green zone environment. Yeah. Right? So that's number one. Don't get triggered. Number two, put a lot more energy into listening to them because oftentimes people will get defensive when they're not feeling heard. And, you know, we've all gone through listening classes. It's probably the most often taught and least used skill that we have in training today. Yeah. So go back and think of all the active listening skills and summarize what you're hearing and feed it back and check for understanding and that kind of stuff. Um, And put more energy into listening to this other person because they're not feeling heard usually. And then the next thing you can do is try to focus on what everyone's interests are because somebody's feeling like they're feeling vulnerable and something is not being met. You're not understanding something. So uh, talk about what their interests are. Talk about what your interests are. And if you can focus any discussion about the differences or conflicts that you have, on the underlying needs of all the parties, you have a much better chance of working out some kind of a solution that helps you meet the, as many needs of, of both parties doing that. Yeah, uh, so and I like that you said, helpful. I really like that you said, don't take it personally. Everybody yeah. seems to do this so often. I observe it. You see, I'm an intuitive and I'm, um, I'm a medium. So I download a lot of information uh, from higher spirit and to help people know themselves better. Uh, so mm-hmm. I I watch, and it's almost like I see their whole body language change, their color on their face, the, uh, how their expression changes. So uh, a person wants to 
get to the green zone. That's that's the goal. So a person yeah. in the green zone takes responsibility for the circumstances of his or her life, seeks to respond non-defensively, and is not easily threatened psychologically so they don't take it personally. So I, I like that very, very much. Yeah? yeah. So, so yeah. let's go on to... What types of people are able to develop openness and transparency to a greater degree, and what types have great trouble with truly being open? This is, this is, you know, we have many different people in the world who react differently, and uh, we want to get to help everybody a little bit more get to being a little bit more open. So tell us about that. Well, there's been a lot of research done showing that organizations that are more open, relationships that are more open, where people are more willing to share things, uh, are, tend to be stronger and, and more effective. Uh, but not everybody has the same desire to be as open as uh, you know somebody who likes to come in every Monday morning and tell you everything they did over the weekend. <laughs> so we're not saying that you have to do that. What's helpful is for you to understand what level of openness you're most comfortable with, but then to not get rigid in that. Where we get into trouble is not what our preference is. You can prefer to not be as open as somebody else. And somebody else could prefer to be a lot more open than you and want to share every personal detail they have. You know, That's not what gets us into trouble. What gets us into trouble is if you get rigid about that and you want everybody else to be as low on openness as you are or as high on openness as you are. So you recognize what your preference is, and then you try to be able to flex. Because there are times, if you're in a new relationship, where it's to your advantage to be more open and share what's going on in your life. And there are times, you know, if you're going through a, a, a tax audit or something, it's probably to your advantage Yes. <laughs> I, you have to you you do have to use your ego based mind reality in in all things that you do. But you know what you you talked about the numbers commonly cited regarding the impact uh, of a message or how you can uh, see the, the percentages to how a person yeah. perceives how a person really is perceived actually. There's content, there's tone of voice, there's body language and I found this very interesting account, content or the words only account for 7% of what others see tone of voice accounts for 38% and body language accounts for 55% I find this most interesting well, so tell well, us there, about that been, the, yeah the research that was done on this was done by a, a fellow named Al, Al Morabian a professor at UCLA this is, it, but this research is commonly miscited because it, it's, people will say, well, that shows that body language is everything and, and uh, the actual words that you're speaking amount to only 7 to 10 percent. It means nothing. You know? That's only true. The research that, that Al did was only true when the, the message was different than the body language. So if I say to you, um, well, I, I love you, you know, I couldn't do that. Why don't you listen to me, you know? Well, mm. what are you going to believe then? Are you going to believe my body language and my tone of voice, or are you going to uh, believe the words? Because okay. Because they're incongruent. But okay. if they're congruent, 
then what people pay attention to is is the the message, the words. So it isn't it isn't quite accurate to say that you know tone of voice and body language is always more important than the message. That's only when it, when it's incongruent. Okay. When it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay. Mm-hmm. What would you like people to take away with them very briefly from reading yeah. the book? Yeah. The, being more effective at collaboration, uh, being more effective at these skills can make a big difference in your life because uh, we've had some great follow-up research showing that people are significantly more better, uh, more skilled and more likelihood to get their interests met anytime they get into a conflict if they're skilled at collaboration. And so it's going to make a positive difference in people's lives if they can just learn a little bit about these basic five skills. Yeah. We're not talking about rocket science. No, they're going to be, they're, yeah, they're going to be healthier, happier, live a more purposeful life and be more, they'll be a, evolving instead of staying stuck. So, yeah, yeah. that's wonderful. I want to thank, thank you, Judge yes, Jim Tem. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being with you, Cheryl. I want to thank you, Judge Jim Tam, author of Radical Collaboration, for sharing practical tools that will increase our ability to collaborate, cooperate, and reach solutions to many of the overwhelming problems in business, family, and personal relationships. As we have discovered today, collaboration skills are essential for today's workplace and have never been more important. To purchase this life-altering book, go to RadicalCollaboration.com or Amazon.com. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, we have offered an awareness for creating trusting cooperative environments and transforming groups into motivated and empowered teams as we increase our ability to work successfully with others, learn to be more aware of colleagues and their unique abilities and liabilities as well, and learn to problem solve and negotiate our way beyond the challenging events in today's rapidly changing world. Judge Tam writes, Parties are now engaged in the creative part of the process, trying to find solutions that will meet as many interests as possible. They should be tenacious about getting their interests met. However, since there are usually many ways to satisfy any interest, they should be flexible in how they get their interests met. Always look for mutual gains. If you find you have mutual interests, exploit them. If interests aren't mutual, then try to align them so they dovetail. And that's the word to remember, alignment, to be in alignment to the best in yourself and others. Judge Tam and I would have you realize realize that for larger groups working with complex issues, and strong consistencies. The process may sometimes be lengthy and time-consuming, but as always and in the end, collaboration is found through willing it so and trusting the plan for success when all parties finally begin to remember there is a way and will for success if we let go of fear, doubt, and seek unity. 
I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing from Within and author of the newest book in my trilogy, A New Life Awaits, Spirit Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening. And I invite you to visit my website, Cheryl Glick, to read about and listen to leaders in the fields of metaphysics, science, medicine, law, spirituality, human development, evolution, education, and the arts and music. Seek ways to refine our thoughts and achieve greater awareness, higher consciousness, and improve the quality of our lives personally and collectively. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you.